We are Awakened Church in Bonesse, and this is our podcast. Welcome. Hello. My name's Kara, and I have the pleasure of inviting you guys into the season of Advent, which obviously is the time of year globally and at our local church where we anticipate um, celebrating the birth of Jesus. But I also want to welcome us into more than that because the meaning of Advent goes well beyond that. The word Advent, I learned, is a, is a Latin word which means coming, and it's translated from the Greek word parousia, which refers to the second coming of Jesus. Um, and so Advent is a season of waiting for what is to come, where we wait to celebrate the birth of Jesus, but we also wait for the second coming of Jesus, the birth of God's new creation. And Jesus' birth is the beginning of that, but it certainly hasn't come in its fullness. So Advent is a season where we anticipate being saved by God. And not only that, but Advent is also rich with a lot of metaphor around light and darkness, which you can see in the room today. And it's perfect then that Advent comes for us, like Nikayla said, at the darkest time of year in Alberta. Because we're literally waiting in the dark for our days to lengthen as the earth turns towards the sun. And we're also reflecting on the spiritual darkness of our broken world, waiting for the light of Christ to come and make all things new. So Advent is a season of light and of darkness. It's a season where we wait in the darkness for the saving light of God to come. And today we're going to reflect on two passages which have already been read for us. Um, Luke 1 and Isaiah 30. And in these passages, much like us, God's people are waiting for Yahweh to come and save them. So we're going to begin in Isaiah 30. So to give some context, at this point in Israel's history, they're split. So there's the 11 tribes of Israel. That's Israel. And then there's the nation of Judah, which is the tribe of Judah. And at this point, I think, Nikayla, Israel has already been wiped out by Assyria. They're out of the game. And Assyria is the dominant empire at the time, and they're descending upon Judah. And Assyria at the time was known for its undefeatable army and cruelty, so Judah panics. And instead of relying on God, the Old Testament tells us that Judah instead turns to Egypt and makes an alliance with Egypt. And there are a couple of issues with this alliance that they make. And the first is that it's a direct violation of the covenant that the remnant of Israel has with Yahweh. And the covenant said that Israel would rely on Yahweh, and in return, God would protect them. And now it's ironic because God first displayed his faithfulness and his power by freeing his people from Egypt. And now God's people are betraying that covenant by going back to Egypt. What's also problematic, though, is that at this time, Egypt is just a shadow of its former self. So even if Judah wasn't betraying their covenant with Yahweh, Egypt would not be able to help them. So Egypt eventually would also be defeated by Assyria and would be overthrown. So that's the context for Isaiah 30. And it opens the chapter then with God laying out the devastating consequences of Judah's betrayal. So God is saying, this is what's going to happen because of what you've chosen. First off, he calls Egypt a harmless dragon, as in they're not going to be able to help you, Judah. He's like, even the roads that are leading to Egypt, where your caravan needs to go with the bribes to Egypt, it's, it's overrun with predators, so it's not even going to make it. And Judah, you're going to be laid waste. He says in Isaiah 30:14, you'll be smashed like a piece of pottery shattered so completely that there won't be a piece big enough to carry coals from a fireplace or a little water from the well. So in Isaiah 30, God's painting this picture of total devastation as he's outlining the consequences of Judah's unfaithfulness. 
but he quickly follows up almost like gushing with reassurances of his own faithfulness. He says in, in verse 18, so the Lord must wait for you to come to him so that he can show you his love and compassion for the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. And it's important to pause here so that we don't miss what's happening because what's taking place here is that Judah's being faced with an Advent moment where God pauses and says very clearly, Judah, I am waiting for you. And he's full of love and mercy, and there's this faithfulness woven into everything that God is saying, and there's this promise of salvation that is coming. But at the same time, there's this very clear command from Yahweh in this chapter, and there's this caveat that his people have to stop and wait for him in return. And so Isaiah 30, it's all about how Judah's waiting meets God's waiting. And so I want to talk about what that waiting looks like, because God's really specific in the waiting that he calls Judah into. And so to set the scene, imagine Judah's amping up for war. Warriors are dressed for battle. There's a, a caravan with livestock that are heavy laden with bribes going to Egypt. And, and imagine this prophet Isaiah, he walks into a busy courtyard. I have no idea if that's where it took place. But imagine, it's, it's a courtyard that's frantic with preparations. And, and Isaiah makes this announcement. He's like, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And he says, only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength, but you would have none of it. And I just imagine that you could hear a pin drop because Isaiah is literally demanding the very opposite of human nature in crisis. Judah's leaving for war and they're pumped full of adrenaline. And God says, return and rest. He's like, be docile, be quiet, trust me. It's like this, this picture of confident, unrushed dependence on God. And it's like God's telling them to be like sheep, totally reliant on their shepherd. And I really like that metaphor because the ancient kings of Assyria were often compared to lions and their politics like a lion that was hunting prey. And so it's like God's commanding his people to be like sheep while they wait for this lion that they can see in the distance descending on them to consume them. What would you do? I would be getting ready. So essentially, Judah is facing an Advent moment where they're called by God to wait for their salvation and they're surrounded and blind in the darkness and they're desperate for light. And in the end, Judah follows their own plans. And in the end, Egypt did not save them. Assyria goes sweeping through Judah, destroying everything in its wake until it arrives at the gated city of Jerusalem. But at the city, the story like takes a 180 turn, which is really cool. So imagine a series besieged the city, and they're like standing outside mocking Judah. Apparently they were calling out in their language, trying to frighten them into surrender. And so Judah's forced into literally waiting for aid, and they've exhausted all their options, and they have to rely on God. And King Hezekiah, who loved God deeply, finally stopped listening to his advisors. He prays this beautiful prayer, and he relies on God to save them, putting his full trust in Yahweh. And people can't totally agree on what happened next, but scripture says that Assyria was struck down in the night, that 185,000 Assyrian soldiers are dead um, over the course of the moon waning with no explanation. And what's interesting is that Assyria kept like detailed records of its war campaigns, but the conquest of Jerusalem is never um, explained. But we know that Assyria said, instead of sacking the city and torturing the king like they normally could, 
or would in, in a scenario where a nation is rebelled, like Judah. Their historians are like, we let Hezekiah live. And they left Jerusalem with never entering the city, setting it up as a vassal. Now, scripture, on the other hand, tells us that the angel of death visited the army overnight. And we don't totally know what that means, but like it could be literal, like an angel appeared and like booped people on the nose and they fell down dead throughout the night until 185,000 were gone. That's possible. Um, there's another theory that mice infested the camp and spread the bubonic plague, killing swaths of warriors. We don't know exactly what happened except that when God's waiting was met with Judah's waiting, salvation comes like a thief in the night. Kind of. Because this story is so epic where Judah turns to God and God saves. But like big picture, Judah's now a vassal of Assyria. They've been conquered. And uh, the salvation that God's describing in Isaiah 30 is not fully complete. In verse 25, God promised, In that day when your enemies are slaughtered and the towers fall, there will be streams of water flowing down every mountain and hill. The moon will be as bright as the sun, and the sun will be seven times brighter like the light of seven days in one. So it will be when the Lord begins to heal his people and cure the wounds he gave them. And so it's very clear at the end of the story that God's promise had come to be, but not fully. And so the conquest of Judah ends with this deep longing in the people of God because they're still in the dark waiting to be saved. They saw a pinprick of light, but they're waiting. They're in a season of Advent, anticipating that God will come. So if anyone's thinking, can we talk about Christmas? It's the first Sunday of Advent. We are going to talk about Christmas, but I guess my point is that Advent doesn't actually begin with the birth of Jesus, because the story of humanity is littered with these Advent moments in which human beings are waiting in the dark for the light to come, and we're waiting for God to save us. And so with that in mind, then we can look at Luke 1, because Luke 1 is another very important Advent moment. <laughs> That's my son. <laughs> He'll be all right. He's with his dad. <laughs> He's waiting in the dark for the light to come. Um, Luke 1, it's another Advent moment, but it's one that we all are much more familiar with. And it's, it's the story that was read. I think Teresa read it for us, where Gabriel visits Mary, and he lays out this story of what's going to happen to her. He says, you've been chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. You will come to be with child by the Spirit, and your child's going to be the king of Israel forever. And remember, by the time of this passage, it's been 700 years since the story of Judah and Assyria and where Mary enters the story. And over the course of those 700 years, Israel's still been waiting to be set free. So Assyria was, Assyria's empire rose and fell. I think Babylon came after, and now we're in the Roman Empire. Did Rome overthrow Babylon? Was there someone in between? Sass oh, wow. Okay. Ro like, empires are rising and falling, and Israel's just a pawn and they're just hanging on, and they are waiting the entire time for the fulfillment of this promise that is to come, that God will save them. And right into that story that Mary's been born into, Gabriel's saying, hey, the salvation of God that you've been waiting for is on its way, and through you, Mary, the light is going to come. And Mary responds with, yes, I see it all now. I'm the Lord's maid ready to serve. Let it be with me just as you say. 
And so in saying yes, Mary enters willingly. Unlike Judah, she enters willingly into a season of Advent. And she, for her, it's a very literal period of waiting on God. And in her waiting, we can hear that language of Isaiah 30, the language of resting, of returning, of dependence, all of these things that characterize the holy waiting of God in Advent. So Mary would have waited on signs of pregnancy. She waited for labor to come. She would have lived in total dependence on God in a culture that was very shame-based, that did not understand why she was pregnant. Um, Mary would have rested in those latter stages of pregnancy. She would have literally, or she did, she didn't would have, she did return literally to Bethlehem, the home of David. And so in Mary's Advent moment, she's incarnating God's urging in Isaiah 30, where he says, only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength. And through Mary, the Messiah is brought into the world. John 1 calls Jesus a light that came into the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. And so we have two stories, two Advent moments, and in both stories, humanity is invited to wait for the light of God to come. One story tells of ancient Judah, which tries every other avenue of salvation before finally turning to God. And we have one story of a vulnerable Hebrew teenager who astonishingly embraces holy Advent waiting. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I feel like the majority of us in this room can better relate to Judah than to Mary, to the self-preservationist approach to coping with darkness than to the dependent resting of Mary. But this is what's so interesting to me, is Mary did everything that God asked of her, and the end still leaves us wanting more. Like, she bore the Messiah who would save us all, humbly, dependently, and still Mary suffered, she watched her son tortured and crucified, and although her son was raised from the dead, she still died. And so even though Mary waited on God, it was still very clear at the end of Mary's story that God's salvation had not yet fully come. Because the fact is the entirety of human history is an Advent history. We are all in a season of Advent. We are still living the story of waiting to be saved. We, in this room, are no strangers to darkness. Darkness is the feeling of terror we felt as children alone in a room when it was dark. The feeling of insecurity when we look over our shoulder in a parking lot when it's dark. The sting of rejection because we don't fit someone else's idea of who we should be. Darkness is, is that shame that we feel when we perpetrate the brokenness and sin of our world. We know darkness. Darkness is the suffering and death of innocence in Gaza. It's the groaning of creation in the form of melting ice and dying coral reefs and raised rainforests, and we could go on and on forever because we know the darkness. And yet, even in the deepest darkness, we awaken our Advent people. We are a people of the light. We know what the light is. Light is schools that are built for how kids' unique brains and bodies work. The light is homes that are safe and warm and full of love. The light are parents and teachers and pastors and politicians who aren't exhausted and burnt out, but they're passionate and they're exhilarated and they champion their own. The light is a world where we can be who God made us to be rather than who our society is trying to form us into. I was driving down Memorial Drive this week and my daughter Addie asked me, what if people just don't show up for war? Does it even happen? The light is a world where nobody shows up for war. 
The light is a world where the weak lead the strong and the children teach the parents and the poor are no more and neither are the rich because all is abundantly shared. All are safe. All are loved. And this Advent, we are an Advent people who confidently hope in the light that is coming. And we can wait with confidence because we serve an Advent God, a God who from the very moment that we turned away from him began to plan and wait for the day when he would restore us to himself. Nikayla said in opening the service that the light from our sun, I think you said this, takes eight and a half minutes to reach us. And so this winter when we're outside searching the horizon for um, a sunrise, we are searching for a light that has already been on its way. And in the same way, our Advent God is already coming, already waiting. And he has promised that moonlight will flare into sunlight, and sunlight, like a whole week of sunshine at once, will flood the land. And that light is already shining in the darkness in Christ, who lives in us. And we celebrate this Advent season that that light's only going to grow brighter and brighter and brighter until we are blinded by the abundant goodness and holiness of a God who even in our unfaithfulness, our impatience, our brokenness, that God is faithful and patient and heals us just the same. And so we wait. And as we wait, we are also faced with Advent moments over and over again, just like Judah and just like Mary. And so I'll close with these two questions for you to ponder with the Spirit of God this week. And the first question is, how are you like Judah? Are you running toward a battle that isn't actually yours to fight? Where is God inviting you to trade in your adrenaline for rest, your self-reliance for dependence? And the second question I credit to a conversation I recently had with my mom, and it's how are you like Mary? What is God birthing in you this season? And what light is growing within you? I'm going to pray for us. God, we wait for you, and we strain towards the light, even as you are birthing the light within us through your spirit. May we return to you this season. May we rest in you this season. May we discover a quietness and a confidence and a strength in you this season. Lord, mold us into your Advent people. And Lord, we know that you are on your way, but may you come. May your light shine in the darkness like the light of seven suns until the darkness is overcome. Amen. Awaken Church is located in McKinstis, specifically the neighborhood of Bonas. Most of us are settler descendants who have benefited from the legacy of colonialism and forced assimilation, which continues to harm the people of this land. We are committed to reckoning with our history and taking action towards reconciliation as envisioned by Indigenous leaders and knowledge keepers. Treaty 7 was signed not so long ago between the sovereign nation of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, the Sutina, and the Canadian government. We honor that at the heart of the treaty was a dream for a shared future, and we wholeheartedly believe in this dream. For 
information on who we are and how you can support the work of Awaken, check us out at awakenchurch.ca. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Awaken Phonus.